Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture passage is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, all the way through 2nd chapter verse 1. Found in your pew Bibles on page 225. Oh, Holy Father, I just ask you by your spirit, please speak, oh Lord, through your word, that in our hearing, oh Lord, that we will receive all you will have to say and show us what it is that you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year after year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So when it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you would indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will you give to your servant a son? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate. 
and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought, they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. And as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Diana. Hey, good morning, all. How you doing? I want to add my welcome uh, to the new to the new members, and uh, I don't know if you caught that, but we're giving away a minivan to all the new members, so that's just, if you haven't got your minivan, talk to Pastor Johnny afterwards, and it's fantastic, it's so good. Um, any case, yeah, no, good, so encouraging to see all the new folks, uh, as Pastor Johnny mentioned, that persevered through uh, two years of, of a global pandemic and joined our church, so we're super happy uh, to have you here. All right, so we are in week four of our eight-week sermon series called The Joy Set Before Us, and our primary thesis for our sermon series is that Jesus himself is the joy that God has set before us. And so throughout the series, we're looking for ways to get more of Jesus into our lives so we can get more joy into our lives. And we've looked at grief as a pathway to joy, we looked at God's fatherly care last week as a pathway to joy. And this morning, we look at the third pathway to joy, surrender as a pathway to joy. And in many ways, this morning's sermon is the inverse of last week's sermon. Because in last week's sermon, we talked about God's fatherly care and his commitment to provide for us. In this week's sermon, we talk about our response to God's fatherly care and his commitment. And that response is surrender. This morning, we're going back, as it's been read for us, we're going back uh, into a passage of Scripture that we touched on during the All Things New sermon series here in 1 Samuel, the story of Hannah. And I don't 
I preached on this uh, in July of 2020, and I don't recall that any of you, or I don't expect that any of you recall that. I didn't even recall that I preached on it. So I went back and I looked at my notes. Have I preached on this? Oh, yeah, I did. I did preach on that. And then I thought, why do I even bother preaching? I mean, I can't even remember what I talk about. I don't expect you all to remember what I talk about. But, you know, I think preaching, it's like, a, it's like baking a loaf of bread, right? You know, you break a loaf of bread, you eat it for that week, right? So it's not for the whole rest of your life. It's just for that moment. So the Lord had something to say back then. He has something to say to us today. So think of this as a fresh loaf of bread this morning from this passage on the theme of joy, a bread loaf of joy, as it were. So Hannah's story begins in sorrow, but it ends in rejoicing. So I want us to track along with Hannah's story and learn about her journey towards joy as we try to journey towards joy as well. Before we begin engaging with Hannah's story, there's three things I want to say. First, I want us to read through Hannah's story her earthly story, as a metaphor for our spiritual story. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that the stories of the Old Testament have been written down in Scripture as examples or as types, or we can think of them as metaphors for our lives. So they're not just given to us to recount historical facts that happened in the past. They're not even really just given to us for moral instruction, although we can get moral instruction from them. They've been written down as signs or as types for our spiritual journey. So this morning, Hannah is every man. She's every woman. Her plight is our plight. Her deliverance is our deliverance. Her journey to joy is our journey to joy. In other words, I want us to see ourselves in Hannah's story. And if all that sounds a little bit vague about metaphors and types and whatnot. Just stay with me, and hopefully it'll become clear uh, by the end. So second thing I want to say before we get going is I want us to pay particular attention to where in Hannah's story the theme of joy shows up. Because it doesn't show up in the place that I expected to see it. Maybe it will surprise you as well where it shows up. So the timing of Hannah's joy in Hannah's story I think is instructive for us this morning. And then third, while I hope and pray, as I always do, that this sermon will have broad application to all of us here, I think this sermon has particular application for those that grew up at Calvary and are under the age of 20, particularly for our children, right? So if you are a young person this morning, I know there are some of you up there. I see some of you. We have some real young people over here. This is, this is trouble over here, I think. Uh, but if you're a young person this morning and you grew up at Calvary, you grew up as a Christian, I think maybe the Lord has something particular uh, for you in this sermon. So I want you to pay close attention this morning as well. So all right, on to Hannah's story, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah is introduced to us in the first few verses of Samuel as the beloved but childless wife of an Ephraimite named Elkanah. So every year, Elkanah would take his family to worship the Lord at Shiloh. And Shiloh was the, the town where the tabernacle was residing in those days. And so the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, this was where the priests would minister. And so when you would bring your sacrifices to the Lord in those days, you would bring them to Shiloh because that's where the tabernacle was. And there he would offer his sacrifices to the Lord and he would 
have a great feast, a sacrificial feast with his family. Now, as a bit of an aside, just, let me just say a quick word about the tithes and the offerings and how they worked in those days. There were three different types of tithes in the Old Testament law. One kind of tithe was used to support the ministry of the tabernacle, to pay for the priests and all the work that they did there. Another type of tithe was used to support the poor. But there was a third type of tithe called the tithe of feasting. And the tithe of feasting, you would bring your tithe to the Lord, along with your whole household, and you would use your entire tithe to throw a feast in the presence of the Lord. You would eat your tithe. It's a great tithe. I'm going to preach about it uh, sometime. <laughs> but these tithes weren't just simple meals, just kind of a, a one-meal occasion. These feastings of the tithe could last days. It was a big party for the whole extended family. So you would bring the produce and the bounty that God had given to you, and you would bring it to the Lord, and with the Lord and your household, you would feast, and you would rejoice in all that he had given to you. And it's this third kind of tithe, this tithe of feasting, that we're reading about here in 1 Samuel. So Elkanah and his family have gone up to the house of the Lord at Shiloh to present their tithe of feasting and to celebrate and to rejoice before the Lord. But not everyone is celebrating and rejoicing. Hannah, the much-loved but barren wife, is weeping, and she is not joining in the feast. And she's weeping, we read, because she's barren, and she's weeping because her and Penina, the other wife, do not get along. And see, right there, that's part of the problem, because anytime you have to say the other wife, you know, you know you got a problem. But to make it even worse, Penina isn't just the other wife. She has lots of sons and daughters. So I don't know if you see that in verse 4, but the text tells us that Elkanah would give portions to the feasts at, to his family and to Pekina, and then all of her sons and daughters. Now, I don't know how many that is, but all of her sons and daughters sounds like a lot. In any case, it's more than Hannah has. So Penina isn't gracious about this either. She's rubbing it in Hannah's face. She's provoking her, we read a couple times. So much so that Hannah can't enjoy the feast. She can't celebrate. So now this is a vexing situation that Hannah finds herself in by all accounts. But I want to pause here so we can get the full picture of Hannah's plight. Because remember, her plight is our plight. In Hannah's day, to be barren was a matter of life and death. I've talked about this in other sermons as we've encountered barrenness in the Old Testament, but it's such an important part of Hannah's story, and it's an important part of our story, that I'm going to mention it again here at length. At this point in the biblical history, there was only a very sketchy knowledge of the afterlife. So far as anyone really knew, when you died, you went into the grave, and that was it. Story is over. God had not revealed a knowledge of the resurrection yet. That won't happen in biblical history until the days of exile. So while the children of Israel are spending time and time out in exile, the prophets begin to arise, and they begin to speak of the restoration that God will bring. And part of the message of restoration is not only that they will go back to their homeland, but that God will one day, in the great final day of the Lord, he will raise the dead even, 
and he will give life to all. But that message doesn't happen until the days of exile, and this is long before the days of exile. So for Hannah and company, there is no sweet by and by in which the people of God are going to live forever. The only way to live forever was to live forever through your offspring. And that's how the Old Testament saints thought about eternal life. You lived on through your kids. So to be barren was to be as good as dead. Indeed, when God wanted to punish an especially wicked king or priest or prophet, he would punish them by cutting their line off. He would wipe their line from the face of the earth so there was no more descendants. It was the ancient equivalent of being sent to hell. So when we read that Hannah is barren, we're reading that she is dead and without life. She has no hope for the future. She will not live beyond the grave. When she dies, that's it for her. So when Elkanah asked Hannah in verse 8, am I not worth more to you than ten sons? The sad but truthful answer is no, he's not. No matter how much Elkanah cares for Hannah, he can't solve her plight with a double portion of roast lamb. It's also worth saying, too, that he does not share Hannah's plight. He's taken a second wife, Penina, and through her, his life will go on. In fact, it's very likely that the reason he took her as his second wife was because Hannah couldn't carry his life on into the future. So as Hannah's ship sinks, he jumps off of it into another boat. And he leaves Hannah all alone in her distress. And she will die without children. And her line will be cut off from the face of the earth. Which is why we read in verse 9 that after not eating at the feast, she goes to the tabernacle and she weeps bitterly in distress before the Lord. And while she's there, she makes a vow. Verse 11, we can read it. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She's saying, if you give me a son, Lord, I will give him back to you. Her comment about no razor touching his head, that's a, it's a reference to the Nazarite vow when someone is dedicated to the Lord. So she's saying, I will dedicate this life back to you if you give me this life. Now, Eli, the priest, he sees her drink or praying, and he supposes her to be drunk, and he rebukes her as a worthless woman. But Hannah says, no, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my anxieties and vexations to the Lord. And then Eli sees that she's mistaken, and he speaks a blessing over Hannah. Go in peace, he says, and may the Lord give you what you ask for. And then look at verse 18. We read that the woman went away, and she ate, and her face was no longer sad. Eli gives her a blessing and she receives it in faith and she's comforted. And I want us to think about this in the line of Hannah's barrenness. This is a pivot point in her story. We haven't gotten all the way to joy yet, but we've turned a corner towards joy. Hannah has gone from bitter vexation and so anxious she can't eat 
to peace and no longer sad. So we're making progress towards joy, even if we're not there yet. And sure enough, in due course, Hannah conceives and she gives birth to Samuel, whose name means heard of God. And again, I want us to think about the birth of Samuel through the lens of Hannah's plight and her barrenness. This isn't simply the blessing of being a mother. That would be how we would likely think of it in our day and age. This is the blessing for Hannah of salvation. God, in granting Hannah's request, has not simply given her something that she really, really wanted. Like a new house, or a new car, or a new donkey, or a fourth baby. He has given her life from the dead. This is why she was distressed. She who is dead and without hope in the world, with no future, no life, has been given life by God. She will now live on past the grave. Could you imagine the relief conceiving and then giving birth finally to a child who will carry her life on? This is another big turning point in Hannah's story. She's been given new life by God. And if I were the author of 1 Samuel, I think this is where I would have put Hannah's joy. She prays out to God. She lays her vexation before the Lord. God hears her. He gives her new life. And Samuel was born. And there would be much rejoicing. In 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, we're going to get into the beginnings of Hannah's prayer of rejoicing. And I would have put that right here. But the author of 1 Samuel continues to hold out on us. He keeps pushing Hannah's joy till later in her story. So we keep following him in search of joy. When Samuel was probably two or three years old, Hannah fulfills her vow. She travels to Shiloh and she brings Samuel to the house of the Lord. And they slaughter a sacrificial bull. And then she says to Eli, we can look at it here in verse 26. She says, oh, my Lord. As you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And again, I want us to consider this moment here in light of Hannah's barrenness. God gave her life in a son. And now she is surrendering that life back to God. Her life is bound up in Samuel. He is her only link into the future. He is her only way of living beyond the grave. He is the life that God has given her so that she might live. And that's what she's surrendering to the Lord. She's taking the little candle flame of life that God has given to her that is burning in the breast of her son, which is her own life, and she surrenders it into the safekeeping of the God who gave it. And now, at last, we see Hannah's joy. Look at verse 2, 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord, or my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice 
in your salvation. It's expression in my Bible, it says the horn is exalted in the Lord. It's translated as strength in Naomi's translation when she read it. It's a word that's occasionally used in Scripture to refer to children, especially in those days, one's children were one's strength. So Hannah's strength is exalted in Samuel. Through him she will triumph over her enemies, and in him she rejoices in her salvation. And then she goes on in the remainder of the next nine verses, praying and extolling to the Lord about the goodness of God and how he cares for the needy, how he cares for the powerless, how he brings low the proud, how he is a God who is so strong that he has established pillars upon which he has set the earth. He is a God of strength who lifts up the humble. And what I especially want us to see is that she rejoices most fully in her salvation when she surrenders her life in Samuel back to God. God has been so good to give Hannah new life. Who better than God to take care of the life that he has given to her? God will take care of her. God will protect her. God will give her victory and salvation. Why should she withhold her life from one who is so committed to doing right by her, who loves her and has shown himself to be full of power to save and to protect, the one who can hold the whole world and set it upon his pillars? And here's the great message of Hannah's story. When she surrendered her life into the care of God, she found joy. She found peace in God's promise of life. She found relief in God's provision of life. But she found joy when she surrendered her life. All right, now let's connect the unfolding of Hannah's story to the unfolding of our story. Because our story starts just like Hannah's story starts. Like Hannah, we are born into the world spiritually barren and cut off from life. We cannot live beyond the grave. We are, as the scriptures say in Ephesians 2, without God and without hope in the world. That was Hannah's story. It's our story too. But then like Hannah, we call out to God in the midst of our anxiety and distress and he hears our prayer, and he gives us new life. And God gave Hannah new life through the gift of her son Samuel. And God gives us new life through the gift of his son, Jesus. And then just like Hannah, when we surrender the life that God has given to us, back to God, we find joy. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, I think there's a special word here to our young people, or perhaps to those who are young in the faith. Really, there's a word here for all of us, but I think so often we can be tempted to stop our spiritual story midway through Hannah's story. We think that Simply believing and receiving is the climax of our spiritual story. 
But the truest and deepest and lasting joy comes not when we believe, not when we receive the gift of life, but when we surrender that life back to the Lord. When we give ourselves wholly into his care for safekeeping. So young people, really all people, I ask you, have you surrendered your life wholly to the Lord? Not just have you believed God's promise. Not just have you received God's promise. But have you surrendered what he has given you back to the Lord? Perhaps you've contented yourself with believing and receiving, but you've stopped short of surrendering. And the Lord is inviting you this morning to surrender the whole of who you are to him. Not just this thing or that thing or this dream or that dream, but the whole of who you are. Everything and every dream. Have you placed all that you desire for your future? All that you ever hope to be. Your whole life wholly into God's hands for safekeeping. Just like Hannah did with Samuel. When she gave Samuel to the Lord, she gave everything to the Lord. All of her hope for the future. Who better to keep your life than the one who gave it to you in the first place? Who better to protect your life than the one who raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in the heavenly places? Do you want a life of joy? We all want a life of joy. It's endemic to the human condition to want a life of joy. God knows the pathway to joy. He knows where it's found because he himself is joy. And there can be no lasting joy in your life apart from surrendering your life into God's loving care. Listen, God loves you. He cares for you. And he desires your joy and your happiness more than you ever will. More than you do. And he calls you to surrender your life to him. Not so that he can rob you of joy. Not so that he can take away your happiness. But because he wants to fill your life up with joy. And when you give your life into his care, he can pour himself into it. What prevents you from surrendering your life to the Lord? Pause there. I want you to think about it. Maybe the Lord is kind of just nudging on you. Maybe not just this morning even, but maybe you're feeling it particularly this morning. You know he wants more of you. You've believed, you've received, but you haven't yet surrendered your future to the Lord. You've not given him your whole life. 
What's preventing you from doing that? Are you afraid that he will not do right by you? That if you place your hopes and dreams wholly and unreservedly into his hands, that if you yield your will to his, that it won't go well for you? Perhaps you have dreams for your future and you're not sure that God shares your dreams. And so you'll just keep those to yourself. Thank you. But God has dreams for your future. And you, his dreams for your future are better than your dreams for your future. Let the rest of Hannah's story be a comfort to you. The life she entrusted to God went on to become, in Samuel, the greatest of all the Old Testament judges, far and away. He was the anointer of kings and one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. God knows how to keep his own, and he knows how to care for what we entrust to him. I make no promises, and God makes no promises that he will guard your life according to the priorities of this world. But I do promise, and God promises, that he will guard your life according to his priorities, which are the truest and deepest and most joy-filled priorities in existence. God desires your blessing, your thriving, and your joy. Don't waste your life trying to find joy apart from God. You can find surface happiness apart from God, but you can't find lasting joy apart from God. Don't content yourself to simply believe in the gift of life or even to simply receive his gift of life. Surrender it back to him and receive his even greater gift of joy. In the end, all of these things hang together. Believe, receive, and surrender. It's the pathway to joy. My prayer for you, wherever you are, if you're one of our young folks or maybe you're one of our old folks or you're in between, is that you wouldn't stop short of surrender that you would move all the way from believing and receiving to surrender, to place your life into the care of your heavenly Father who loves you and let him take care of you and pour out his life into your life. Let's pray. Father, give us the faith of Hannah to place ourselves wholly into your care Oh, how we want to hold on to and protect our lives because we're worried about the outcome. But how much better and safer and more joy-filled it is to take our lives and to place them in your care, to let you care for us, to surrender ourselves wholly to you, knowing that your hopes and dreams for us are so much better than our hopes and dreams for ourselves. God, I pray for any that are here this morning that you 
knocking on the door of their heart. You're wanting to come in and feast with them. I pray you would help them to surrender themselves wholly to you and to receive the joy that you promised that comes through surrender. We pray this in your son's name.